0: Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742. Or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life And now, here is today's message. We are now back into the Gospel of John. We started it back in the fall. Uh, We took a couple weeks break around Christmas and talked about the birth of Jesus. Then we got back into the Gospel of John for a couple of weeks. And then we did a four-week study on prayer because we were going into 21 days of prayer. and So it's really a good idea to have a clear picture of how and what and how, I mean, all the nuances of prayer. And so we, we had a four-week study on that. And I just want to publicly thank Pastor Matt because there were days when I was down and out. I wasn't, I mean, you know, Lorinda wanted to talk to me or with me. She had to talk to me because I wasn't talking. I was, I was done with it. And um, and then I had that splint in my mouth. Thank the Lord, that thing's gone. It went back where it belongs to the pit. <laughs> but but Pastor Matt, he stepped in and he filled in for me. And I'm so thankful that. He, would you guys just show him how much we appreciate him, all he's done to help us out. I don't He's hiding somewhere back there, right, oh, right behind the post. That's why you have we have these posts. If you don't want to see me, you sit behind it. Anyway, so thank you, Matt. Uh, I, it just it is a relief to have a guy that can just step in and deliver the word of God faithfully. So now we're back into the Gospel of John, and I just want to remind you what John was speaking about when he wrote this this gospel, because his is quite different from all the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's is totally different. And so what John said, he says, I've I've got this purpose for writing this Gospel to you. And and his purpose is simply this, that you may believe that Jesus is the the Christ, the Son of God. That's his whole purpose for writing the Gospel. And, And he uses one word Continually more than anybody else through the entire gospel and that's what we've called this series Believe. He wants us to, to see who Jesus is. He wants us to recognize him as the son of God. He wants us to believe that Jesus has more force than we've ever experienced. He wants us To to step into faith and see the magnitude and the glory and the majesty of who Jesus really is, the Son of God that can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's who he wants us to believe in. And the way he describes this to us in the first chapter of his gospel is he says the word of God, Logos, that's the living word, Jesus, who spoke everything into creation, that Logos word Jesus, he came and made his dwelling among us. In other words, I like to think of it this way. We all are out on a camping trip, and and we've pitched all of our tents. And I know a lot of you guys have your RVs, but let's just go with tents for now. And, and And we've got the tents all set up in this big camp area, and Jesus shows up, and he puts his tent up, right smack dab in the middle of all the tents because he wants to be in the, in the center and the forefront of our lives. And when he does that, he came to demonstrate who God is, what God's will is for our life. He wants us to, to understand the love, the depth of the love of the Father for us. And so the way John said that is that when Jesus came in flesh and he made his dwelling among them, he did it, in grace and in truth. We get to identify the truth of God for our lives. Jesus says, this is what God's truth looks like. This is the Father's truth for your life. This is the Father's will for your life. And I'm going to show it to you by the way I live my life, the way I love you, the way I teach you, and then I'm going to bring, bring both, all of it together. in the truth of who God is, And it's going to be filled with grace. That's chapter 1. You're wondering why it took us five weeks to get there, aren't you? Me too. Now we're into chapter 2. I love the beginning of chapter 2. Because now we're into the, the first miracle of Jesus. This is where Jesus gets invited to a wedding. He goes to the wedding. There's a catastrophe that happens. It's devastating because they ran out of wine. And we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. And in the process, Jesus turns water into wine. Now, I want to clarify something for you. There are a lot of people who want to teach that this wasn't wine, as we know wine, that it was grape juice. That's hogwash. When when the Bible says he turned it into wine, he turned it into wine. Not only did he turn it into wine, but he turned it into the very best wine there is ever going to be kind of wine. Matter of fact, I think when we go to heaven and we celebrate the, uh, the festivities of the Lamb's banqueting table around Jesus... That what we're going to do when we get to that big celebration where all the people who, who love Jesus and are walking with Him are gathered together for this huge celebration, that we're going to be drinking Jesus' wine. And it is going, even for you people who don't like wine, you're going to go like, wow, I really like this wine. <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. You know what? Just come and see me in heaven, and I'll point you to the right direction. But I want you to to understand the the importance of all of this because wine in Jesus' time was a symbol of joy. Matter of fact, in, in Psalm 104, it says, You cause this is God speaking. He said, This is actually the psalmist talking about God. You cause grass to grow for the livestock, plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth. Get this, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. If you were to go back to the original language of that psalm, Hebrews, a Hebrew language, and you were to read it directly from it, the the direct translation would be this, wine that makes the heart of man happy. In other words, wine is associated with joy. I want you to keep that in mind because it's going to come into play a little bit later on in our our talk together this morning. But back in Jesus' day, the rabbis, the teachers, the, the religious leaders of the day, they had a saying, and it went like this, without wine, there is no joy. And I tell you this because in just a few minutes, you're going to see the importance of that. So we'll get in right into our talk this morning from John chapter 2. And it starts off by saying this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples there's a reason why John lays it out like that. I I think it's really interesting that John never refers to the mother of Jesus by her given name, Mary. When you read the entire gospel, he always refers to her as the mother of Jesus. You'll see it at the end of the the writing in the gospel at the crucifixion of Jesus. And and he talks to both John and Mary at that time. But here he says, it says that the mother of Jesus was there. And then it says that Jesus and his disciples were also invited. What that, you know, the indication is, first of all, we get this picture. Jesus and the disciples weren't a bunch of wedding crashers. They weren't showing up for a free meal and some free booze. They came because they were invited. And it's important for us to see that they were invited because it means that the bride and the groom had some kind of a relationship with Jesus with Mary, with the disciples. And by the way, there, there weren't 12 disciples at this point. There were only four because Jesus had only called four disciples to come and follow him. And so those four, knowing the bride and the groom and Mary, they show up to the wedding and they're, they're there to celebrate all the things that are going on at that time at the wedding. And, and I want you to, to get an idea about this because a wedding is always a huge social event in the life of a community. It wasn't every day that somebody got married in that community. And the bride and the groom would make this, as we do, we try to make these weddings as special as we can. And so this celebration could last seven days. And the groom was responsible for for providing... For the whole thing, it's a little backwards from our day. You know how the bride or the bride's father has to dole out all the money for the, the wedding, the big hoopla? Well, here, it, the responsibility is on the groom. That's why, one of the reasons why they do what they call, they were engaged for a year, but it was a legal engagement. Betrothed is the biblical word. Betrothed to each other and the only way you could get out of being betrothed was legal divorce It was like you were married, but you weren't married if you follow what I mean No, okay, they hadn't had sex yet I I forgot to tell you that could be PG-13 and you need to plug little kids ears Because they've never heard that word before I'm sure so the, the groom had the responsibility of providing for the entire wedding. And, and it was a big celebration. This is a once-in-a-lifetime event. I mean, they didn't go to Disneyland. They, they didn't take a second honeymoon. They didn't go on a big vacation. They had one big event of their life and it was going to be this wedding, it was going to be the festivities, and and they were inviting everybody they knew, all the relatives, everybody was coming, and they would celebrate this huge thing. And it was one of those things that you only did once. So you wanted it to be great, you wanted it to come off without a hitch, you wanted everything to be perfect, just like we do today in our own weddings. And here's what I really want you to get a hold of is that as Jesus comes to this wedding, it tells us that Jesus chose to participate in the common, routine, every kind of day life thing that happens in people's lives. Jesus isn't a Sunday-only kind of guy. He He wants to be invited into your life. He deserves to be a part of every aspect of what you do in your life. And that's why he got invited. And that's why he went. Because he, I don't know, if, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to be shocked to find out that our God is a party God. Read it. It's amazing. And Jesus is no, he understood it. So he goes to it. Let's pick it up at verse 3. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now we go like, that's not a big deal, right? I mean, so the wine runs out. Okay, people can drink water or coffee or tea or whatever else. It's not a big deal. But in Jesus' day, it was a huge deal. Because if for us, if we ran out of wine and we wanted more wine, We would send somebody over to Trader Joe's to get a a case of two-buck chuck. Go get that two-buck chuck and bring it to the wedding. If you've never had it, you're not missing anything. Or we would have said, hey, go down to the store and buy all the box wine they've got. We need that now. But in, in Jesus' day, it wasn't that easy because what they did is they planned for the guests they planned for the amount of days that they were going to have this celebration. They, they made all the arrangements. And all of a sudden, it, it comes and Mary recognizes that the wine has run out. And she goes to Jesus and tells him that the wine has run out. So why is this such a big deal? Because, well, first of all, it was disastrous to the groom because it was a matter of honor, first of all. His honor was on the line. The groom was responsible for providing all of the adequate supplies for the whole party. And so if something ran out before the celebration was over, it reflected on his inability to plan well. And that would have looked bad on his parents. So honor was the first thing. The second thing was the... To run out of wine would cause a public embarrassment to the entire family. And then the third thing is, and in some instances, the offending family, the groom's family, could be fined by the local government for not having enough wine. So this is actually a pretty big deal that the wine has run out. I want you to understand that life doesn't go as we always plan. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, something happens, and we've got things going sideways that we never even thought were going to happen. It, it, it kind of takes us off guard. We get taken by surprise. And, and the times when problems pop up and troubles come our way, This is often a common thing. And yet, when we take a look at what happens here, Mary shows us what we need to do when troubles surface in our lives. She gives us two steps we should always take when we have troublesome times coming into our life. The first thing that she did is she took the whole thing to Jesus. That's what our 21 days of prayer are about. That's why we have these books, to help you in your prayer life. We want you to be praying all the time. We want you to step into prayer. We want that to become as natural to your life as it is to breathe. We think that that's so important for you that you need to participate in all the prayer events that we have at the church. So that's what she did. Mary didn't just run around the the wedding trying to find somebody who had enough cash on hand to go buy more wine. That was an impossibility because there wasn't a wine store that you go to buy it. It was well planned, well in advance, how much wine you were going to need. So if you ran out, you ran out and that was it and it was going to be embarrassing. So Mary does what she knows to do, the most helpful thing she can do. She, she, she sees the life of this bride and groom and that this is not the way you want to start your wedding, your your life together by the grand embarrassment of it all. And so she does what she knows is going to be the most helpful thing. She takes her need to God. Only it's the Son of God that she goes to. She tells Jesus exactly what her need is. The Apostle Paul kind of did the same thing when he wrote the letter to the Philippians church. He said, don't worry about anything. This, this is to us. Don't worry about in anything. And anything means anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. That's what Mary did and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You, Mary knew exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly to where, whom she was going to. She went and she presented her need. She didn't worry about it. She didn't get all stressed out about She didn't go into a Tailspin about what was happening or not happening. She was just going to the one who who could deal with the situation and handle it. And that's the first thing that Mary did. She came and she brought the need right to Jesus. The second thing that she did is after she brought the need to Jesus, she left it there. She said, Jesus, they don't have any wine. She didn't have another discussion with Jesus. She did not do anything else. She just left it there to Jesus. Here's our problem. When we, when we come to Jesus and we bring our needs to Jesus, we go, here's what my problem is. Here's, here's, I just need your help right now. I need you to do something. And so we take it and we give it to Jesus And we turn around and we start to walk off and then we stop and we think for a minute and we turn back around and we go back over and go, oh, give me that back because I don't think you're going to do it right. So the thing that we give to Jesus, we take back because we think we know better than he does. That's not what Mary did. She gave it to him and she left it with him. There are times when Jesus is standing ready with the solution to your problem. But instead of butting in, he's standing waiting for the invitation to be involved. He's a perfect gentleman. He will never go to a place that you don't invite him to go. Then when we go to verse 4, it kind of looks like Jesus is being a little bit cold and maybe even cruel to Mary. Here's what it says. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour, uh, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) I love this. First of all, when you see that word where Jesus says "woman," what does this have to do to me? I want you to understand that that was a in Jesus' day that was a common um, way of addressing a lady, and, and it was it was a polite thing. It wasn't like I've I've heard guys say this: "Hey, I want you to meet my old lady." It was not like that at all. That to me is kind of like, yeah, you have no clue about life, dude. It's more like if you go to the South and there's a family and there's a, like if my wife, when she goes to the South and she gets introduced to some of the other kids on the ranch that Tyson and Abby work at, they introduce her as Miss Lorinda. This is Miss Lorinda. It, it, it's a very complimentary term. And, and so that's really what Jesus was doing when he said woman. He was really going, Hey, Miss Mary, why are you bothering me with this? this, this I, I want to remind you of something, Miss Mary. I I'm here to do something bigger, greater than your agenda here at this party. My agenda is not the concern of what's going on at this wedding. I'm here because my Father in Heaven has His will that needs to be done and it's my time now to step in and start to do what God, what the Father has sent me here to do. And and so, Jesus just kinda says, that's the way it's gonna be, but the first thing that Mary did, she just went directly to Jesus. And she knew that she, could, she couldn't fix the problem, but yet she had all the confidence, confidence in the world that Jesus could, the Son of God, that he could deal with this family's embarrassing situation. I don't want you to miss this. When no one else can deal with the bad situations we find ourselves in, in the difficult places with the challenging decisions to be made, when all seems to be impossible, our response should follow Mary's response. Go to the one who can deal with whatever we're facing. Jesus is concerned with and gets involved with all the problems and situations of the ordinary everyday life you live. He wants to be involved in whatever it is that you're going through. So when Mary says, they have no wine, we could actually translate that to say they've run out of joy. Or you could say it this way, joy left the celebration and she wasn't a bridesmaid. Gone. Mary understood the gravity of the situation that, was being, that, was, that the couple was facing. Was this a life and death situation? No. But was it important? Yes. Does God only get involved in life and death situations? No. He wants to be involved in the important things of your life. The things that are important to you are important to God. Don't lose that. He's got stuff for you. So I really like what Mary says after Jesus says, why are you bothering me with this? She doesn't get into a conversation with Jesus about anything. All she does is she looks at the servants and goes, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And they're going like, okay, we'll do it. So here's the big question. What is Jesus telling you to do? There's a lot of things. I want to give you three. In Jeremiah 33.3, 3, it says this. Here's the first thing Jesus says. Call to me. That's Jesus saying it to you about your life, about your circumstances. He says, call to me and I will answer you. And this, then here's what he says he's going to do. And I will tell you great and hidden things. He wants to tell you great and hidden things, but you have to call to him. He's not just going to, he's not, it's not just you just stand there and go like. All of a sudden, I just got this epiphany thing about Jesus. He wants me to love him with all my heart. Well, hello. Thank you, Captain Obvious. So what is it that he says? He says, call to me and then I'm going to teach you. That's the first thing. Then, in Matthew chapter 11, he says this, come to me. You see, this is an invitation. It's not a command. It's an invitation. He's saying, come over here. I've got something for you. Come here. I know you're, you're tired because it says, for those, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. That, that doesn't mean the physical thing of working hard at your job during the day and you go home and you want to fall into the lap of Jesus, although that's not a bad idea. That's not what he's getting at. He's talking about the, 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 the labor of working through all the, difficulties of life. He's talking about the burdens that you carry, that you accumulate. Thinking about your, your friends who don't know Jesus, about people who have COVID that are close to you, about kids who are who are running away from their homes. Those are the heavy laden things. Those are the things that press in on us. You You start to think about what goes on in your own mind and how it's contrary to the scripture that God wants you to to live out. Those things wear you down. And Jesus says, come. Why? Because he says, I will give you rest. Here's the second thing he says. He says, come, and then he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, I, I, I want you to get the picture of this. Because a lot of times we have this mental picture of, of an ox with a yoke on it. You've got that picture, right? And it's plowing a field. Jesus isn't taking this yoke off of himself and putting it on you. Jesus, it, it, there's, there's a little thing that they would do in the ancient days when they'd be training a young ox to plow a field. They don't just strap the yoke on him and get him going in the right direction. What they do is they take the old Ox who is well-seasoned at doing his job of plowing the field, and it's a double yoke, and so they strap the young ox in next to the old ox, the mature, well-seasoned ox, and then he's going to teach this young one how to do the work. But the yoke, 95% of the weight, is carried by the seasoned ox. The young one carries a little bit of a weight to learn. That's the picture Jesus wants you to get. That's what he wants you to understand. Because you learn from him. And then he says that the reason you do that is is because he's gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your what? Your soul needs rest my soul needs rest and the only place you get it is when you follow the invitation that jesus just gave come you're heavy laden you're getting worn out i'm going to teach you but i'm also going to give you rest for your soul he says for my yoke is easy and my burden is light that's the second thing the third thing that jesus wants you to do is this Give all of your worries and cares to God. Why? Because He cares for you. He cares for you more than you could even imagine. He cares about every aspect of your life. You know when you lay in bed at night and you can't sleep and you're restless and now you're getting irritated because you can't sleep? because you know you've got a big day tomorrow or you've got to drive somewhere and you're worried about not getting enough sleep so that you don't fall asleep at the wheel and then this thing just rolls on in your head and the next thing you know, your alarm goes off. And you're just frustrated. He cares about that. You know when you take a look at your checkbook or your budget and at the end of it, you go like, what am I going to do? I have more months than I have money. Don't worry about it. There's a difference between worry and doing your due diligence. But you bring it to God and you give it to Him. Why? Because He cares about that. Back to the wedding and the embarrassing situation. The message from Mary to the servants was, Do whatever he tells you to do. Now the servants, Mary walks out. I want you to get a picture. It could be a room something like this, only maybe this whole side or that whole back is closed off. That's where they're preparing the food. That's where they're getting everything set up for the celebration. That's where the wine is kept. And Jesus and his four disciples are now back with the servants. Nothing's below Jesus, I want you to. To know that, he likes hanging out with the people that are serving because his his whole thing is, I came to serve, not to be served. So he's hanging out with the servants, and he's back there, and they're all looking at him now, and they're going, she just said you're going to tell us what to do. How are we going to fix this situation of no wine? I don't understand it, and I'm a little bit nervous about it, and so I hope you have a really good plan where we're going to go get wine. Because they're wondering how we're going to avoid the disaster looming in front of our faces. So here's what happens. It's not what you would expect. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Let me just stop right there and explain these stone jars to you. I don't want you to get a picture in your mind that these are pottery Jars. They're not formed out of clay because they're purification jars. Pottery jars could get like stale water and absorb some mold or something else that would make the water impure. So these are stone jars that are carved out of stone, like granite. I mean, these are hard stone jars. Get that in your mind. These are big jars. And each one of these, holding 20 or 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, here it comes, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, this is a really great picture because even after his conversation with Mary, "Why, why are you bringing this to me? He listened to what she said. He understood the, the urgency of the need of the, the family that was having the celebration. So he listens to everything that you're asking. He knows what you need and he will always respond to what is best for you. But Jesus won't always run on your tracks. He will move in your situation, but he may not do it your way. The servants who were in the kitchen dealing with the meal, the food prep, all that goes on for the celebration, facing the tragedy of lost joy. And they were simply told to do whatever he tells you to do. And so they went to these six, Jesus says, fill those jars up with water. 20 to 30 gallons. Let's just do it this way. Let's just say they're 25-gallon jars. That helps me. I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm not an accountant, but I've got the math down. That's 150 gallons. They're stone jars. They're big. 25-gallon. They hold 25 gallons of water. You don't pick them up and go over to the tap and fill them up. You don't grab the garden hose and bring them over and fill them up. These servants had to go out to the town well. They had to drop the bucket down in the well, bring it back up, take that bucket and over and dump it into the stone jar and then repeat because I figured the bucket that they dropped into the the well might have been about a gallon. So you repeat 150 times. Can you imagine being one of the servants? Walking back to the well for the 50th time? (laughs) And going like, looking at your buddy. Hey, Abraham. Yeah, Isaac. What's this guy thinking? Water? We've got a wine problem, not a water problem. I don't know, but you heard the lady. You heard Miss Mary. Do whatever he says. So let's just do what we're supposed to do. And by the way, hey, if it turns out bad, we're just servants after all. The buck doesn't stop here. And so they get going on this thing. Here's here's the point of it. Jesus asked the servants to do something unconventional. 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 God's going to ask you to do something unconventional. That's what God does in our lives. When we're lost for direction, when life knocks you off your feet, when you get the worst news of your life, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you've got cancer. I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving you. Your child is missing. hate to tell you this, but we no longer require your services at this facility. This is your last day of work. Because you can't make the payments on your house, we're going to foreclose on it. At those moments, your mind is whirling. So you do what Jesus said. You call to him and you sense that he's telling you to do this, be still and know that I am God. And every fiber in your being is crying out, what? Do nothing? Are you kidding me? And yet God says, do nothing. And then all of a sudden as you pick up the word of God, because you're looking for some comfort, you're looking for something to come along and give you a little bit of hope, all of a sudden these words pop off the page to you. And they say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And it's like, oh, so God's asking me to do nothing. And since he's asking me to do nothing, I will do nothing. Here's what happens when we do nothing sometimes. Trust is put into motion. Faith is being built up. And you learn a lesson that God is good and faithful, even when it doesn't make sense. Now back to the the servants, because I believe that when they did what Jesus told them to do, there were three things that they did that included them in the process of the miracle. So what are they? First of all, when Jesus told them to do something, they obeyed immediately. Immediately. They, I mean, when they said, when Jesus said, fill up those jars with water, they weren't going like, yeah, but, but Jesus, this is a wine issue, not a purification. We already did the purification thing. We've already got that taken care of. So why are you telling us to put water in there? They, I don't think we should do that, Jesus. I think we should do something else. So they didn't argue with him. They didn't hesitate. They didn't go like, are you kidding? Really? So there wasn't any hesitation. They weren't going like, uh, water, wine. They didn't have doubt. They didn't contemplate. Well, wine and water, they're both liquid. They just did immediately what Jesus told them to do. The second thing, when Jesus told them to do something they obeyed him completely because now they went and they started to fill up these jars and it was going to take them a long time to do it And it was going, but they needed to put a little pep in their step and work hard because there's a party going on and they need the wine and so what they did is they obeyed completely. They didn't go and do a, a half-baked job. They didn't fill up the jar about three quarters of the way and call it good. They, they filled it up to the brim You know, when you put water into a cup and it goes up to the brim, and if you get down and look at it, you can look right across and you can see the water over the top of the brim. And the only way you can get that water in your mouth is is if you go to pick it up, it's going to spill. It hasn't gone over, but it's about ready to, so you have to (laughs) it off the top. That's what they did. They did it completely. They didn't just do it partially, they obeyed completely. And the third thing we have to see after we go through verses 8 through 10. And so this is what it says. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the The servants were off the hook. He didn't say anything to the servants. He called the bridegroom and he said to to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Imagine being the groom and, and you know that the wine has run out. And by the way, the wine that you served, you gave of your best for that wine. This was your best wine to get, you got the best wine, and now the, the master of ceremonies, he takes a sip of this wine, he goes, dude, come here. I got man, this is amazing. He most people served their best wine at the beginning, and he's he's thinking to himself, Well I did, you fool. <laughs> and all of a sudden he says, But this wine that you've saved till till this point in the celebration is better. Do you see what, what Jesus just did there? We often come with the thought in my mind, here's my best. I'm just going to lay out my best. And then Jesus comes along and he gets involved in whatever we're doing and he takes our best and he makes it better. Right now, do you think you've got a, the best marriage you could have? But what if Jesus got involved in the middle of it? It would be the best marriage ever. You've been raising your kids really well. But if Jesus gets involved, it'll be the best way to raise kids. You look at your finances and you go, I'm doing pretty good. But when God gets involved in your finances, they become the best finances. Do you see that? Do I, do I need to dot some I's and cross some more T's for you? Uh, are, is this helpful? Are you with me? Okay. I know some of you are thinking about lunch already. It's just after 11, my goodness. So so the third thing that these servants did is when Jesus said, here's what I want you to do, they obeyed Jesus successively, eat with as each new instruction came, Jesus said to them, go get water and put it in the jars. They did. Then they filled them to the brim. That was the next thing, fill them completely. And then the third thing was, take some of this water out and take it to the masters of ceremony. And they did. Here's the, here's the thing. It took faith on their behalf it, to, to do this thing. Imagine how angry the master of the feast would be if they brought him water to taste Instead of wine. Yet in faith they obeyed the word of Jesus. So they took it to him. And there was no hesitation in the obedience of the servants. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. When we hesitate to obey, we are not only we are only one step away from blatant disobedience to Jesus. Their obedience led to further service and opportunities. Their obedience their participation in the process helped them to, to be a part of the miracle. Matter of fact, here's what I'd say about these servants. I would call them fat servants. Let me tell you why. Because fat is an uh, acrostic. And it stands for this. Faithful, available, Teachable. Those servants were faithful to the, to the command of Jesus. They were available to do whatever he asked them to do. They responded and said, you tell us to do something, we're going to do it. And then they were teachable because they got to be in the process of the miracle because they took the water and they gave it to the master of ceremonies and it turned to wine. Are you fat? You should be. I know, we'll work on it. Here's a couple other things I really want to point out to you because what Jesus did was uncommon. I've already mentioned this. He, he came in, Jesus came in and gave the best wine at the end or towards the end of the celebration, at least after the good wine had run out. Here, here's, the th- here's the point I want to make. Just because God did something once one way, way back here, doesn't mean that he's going to do it exactly the same way right now, right here. Don't try and squeeze God into the mold of, of the way that you've created God in your own mind. Because that's what happens. We get a picture of, of what we think God should be like up here. Then we try to squeeze him into my into our life to operate the way I've already identified him the way he should operate up here but 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 that's not the way God operates it's uncommon the the results may end up being the same way but the way he goes about it is n- n- har, i don't ever remember it ever be when he when when god met moses he met him in a burning bush and he told him to take off his sandals because the ground he was standing on was holy ground and then joshua 40 years later as he's going in to, to look at Jericho and how they're going to defeat Jericho. He comes up the path to, to spy on Jericho and there is the, the, the commander of the Lord's army, I believe Jesus, standing there with the sword in his hand and, 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 and Joshua falls on his face and he worships him and you know it's not an angel because the angel would have said don't worship me Because that worship only goes to God. But he doesn't say that. But what he does say, he says, take off your sandals for the ground that you're on is holy ground. Two different ways came to the same spot. Because God does it in an uncommon way. The other thing that he does is, when Jesus did this miracle, it was unbelievable. This is the only time in the entire Bible that Jesus does a miracle where he does not say a single word or do a single thing to the, to the elements there. Jesus didn't speak into the jars and go, "Water, you're now wine. He didn't do that. He didn't go like, okay, watch this, and walk over and stick his finger in there and stir it up. And everybody's watching with big eyes. And he pulls it up and wine drips off his finger. He didn't do that. He didn't say anything. And he didn't do anything. It was just unbelievable. And and they picked up the water. And by the way, this is really water. (laughs) Took it to the master of ceremonies. He tasted it. And it was wine. The best wine. Do you know why it happened? Because... God himself is sitting there and understands the need of the people and he doesn't have to say anything and he doesn't have to do anything to meet the needs of the people. All he has to do is will it and it will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Just will it to be so and it will happen. So here's the end result. Verse 11. This was the first sign that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Do you believe? What I want you to take home with you is this from this message. Jesus is tied to the events of your life. He's not just some remote supernatural being who is totally removed from our needs. He cares about the smallest details of your life. He's looking at the fact that you have lost the joy of your life. And He is the only one who can fill you to the brim with supernatural joy. Let me go back to Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden with burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle. And you will find rest for your soul. One thing I know about us is we all carry burdens. They're not all the same burden. Your burden's different than mine, mine's different than yours, yours is different than your neighbor's. But we all carry burdens. Some of us do well by leaving those burdens with Jesus for him to handle. Others of us keep picking them up and bringing them back with us. Jesus is waiting for you to call him in your time of need so he can minister to you. My question is, what do you need from Jesus today? What's the heavy burden weighing you down? Do you have a marriage that's less than what you dreamed? Maybe your kids are headed in the wrong direction. Maybe you've lost a lot of what you thought you should have and it's left you feeling less than. Maybe your life is in a tailspin and you 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 know you need God to do something. You just don't know what you need God to do. Do like Mary. Bring it to Jesus. He cares about every aspect of your life. Then leave it with Jesus. And then do like the servants. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Every, Every head bowed. Every eye closed. I know that as, as I've been talking this morning, I know that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. I don't know everybody here today. I, I don't know you personally. I know you maybe because we just met, or I've met you before, but we don't know each other. But the good news is God knows everything that's going on in your heart. He knows everything about your life. He knows exactly what you need. And, and there are some of you here today who, who maybe have been coming to church for a little while, maybe been coming for a long time, and you've never asked Jesus to take care of your your life issues. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sin. And, and this is why you keep having the same issues in your life. And so in a minute, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And if if you know that you need Jesus in your life, you just repeat the prayer after me. Dear God. I know that my life is a mess. And I know I've done things that are wrong. And you call it sin. And I know that my sin keeps me from you and you from me. And yet I sense you're calling me today to deal with my sin. So I'm simply going to ask you today, dear God, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. And come and be the Lord of my life. I want to start new and fresh. I want to do everything you tell me to do. I want to be transformed like the water into wine. I want you to transform my life from sinner to saint. I need a fresh start. I need to be a new person. I need you in my life. And so Jesus, would you come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and put me on the path of right living. I ask you to do this in Jesus' great name. And Father, I pray for the rest of us. There are many of us who have walked with you and have kind of stopped walking with you. There are many of us who have heard your voice and yet we haven't obeyed. There are many of us who have only done half a job instead of a full job for you. And yet what you want from us is for us to give you everything we have. And so I ask today that you would come in and you would do more than we could ever ask or imagine, that you would transform us and that you would change us and that you would make us new. All for your glory and for your namesake, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus.